For many of us, if we're here, we're over 25 years old, we vividly remember September 11, 2001. It was a day where, as a nation, we learned a very important lesson about a different kind of war, a war that we didn't realize that we were even in. You see, on September 10th, uh, we didn't know that there were terrorists that were out plotting against us. We didn't realize they had a strategy. Actually, in that time, you know, we looked at the Cold War and we thought we had won that. It was over. And Russia, who had been our great threat, our enemy, well, many believed that, well, now they've become a friend. And we were drawing down our intelligence services and the, and the, and the army, and the government was talking about a peace dividend because we didn't even realize that we faced an enemy. And because of that, we didn't prepare for their attack. And, and as a result, we were incredibly vulnerable. And we learned a very hard lesson about the nature of warfare. You see, if you don't realize that you have an enemy, if you're not aware of them, if you're not aware of the strategy, then you won't defend yourself against that attack and you will be incredibly, not only vulnerable but, um, to, to, to that attack, but also to defeat. See, if you think about it, at that time, the United States was by far the strongest country militarily, economically, in every way. And the enemies understood if they attacked us straight on, they stood very little chance, no chance of being uh, victorious. But they also had a strategy. And in the midst of that, they said, okay, in that strategy, what is the vulnerability? And part of that was our confidence, our arrogance. But then they also came and they, in that strategy, took even our own technology, our own airlines, and, and our, our own taking advantage of our lack of security. And, and just with a few people that they could train to be able to fly at a rudimentary level our planes, and a few box cutters, they were able to hijack planes and do damage, destroying the Twin Towers, doing great damage to the, uh, uh, the Pentagon, doing great damage to life and property. Now, you might be thinking, what in the world does that have to do with Ephesians 6? Well, here's the idea. Is that when we look at Ephesians 6, I think that Paul is teaching us that as followers of Christ, we face a similar type of battle and enemy. Whether we know it or not, we are in a spiritual war. We're in a battle. Now, we may be aware that Satan, you know, the Bible talks about Satan. It warns us about, you know, the spiritual warfare. But too often, we go through life as if, you know, those are kind of theological concepts and, and we really don't take it that seriously. And as a result, we don't prepare for the attack. We go through life, in a sense, paying little attention to those warnings. And this is a passage where God is trying to get our attention. He's kind of saying, okay, now wake up, be aware of this. There is a real enemy. This is an enemy that studies us, who knows our vulnerabilities and weaknesses. And if we don't, if we're not careful, he's going to attack. I see that enemy will gladly allow us to live in, in the uh, ongoing sense of security and, and uh, you know, just you know, you know, taking things lightly. But while, all the while, he's preparing to hijack our lives. He's preparing to hijack our marriages, our finances, our families. He's preparing to hijack our integrity. And for us, it may be an attack that seems totally unexpected, totally out of the blue, but the warnings were there all along. You see, now, as we look at Ephesians, it's really wrapping up the whole book. We've been in this book for a while, and it's an incredible book. And, uh, and we have to say, how does it fit in with everything else he's been saying? In fact, if you look at verse 10, it's a, it starts off, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, in a sense, okay, wrapping up everything that I'm saying. And you're saying, well, how does this fit in? Well, if you've been with us, you've seen that, uh, especially the first chapters four, five, and six, Ephesians are incredibly practical. 
you know, it's been giving us advice about marriages and parenting and finances and morality and relationships and all these things and work and, and, and we can, what we've got to realize, it's possible that I can know those things and yet still struggle to apply those things. I don't know about you, but there are times that I, I sit there and I say, okay, well, I know God's calling me to do that. And I try to do it and, and I still struggle. Or it seems like that when I try to move out in faithfulness, there's a headwind against me. There's incredible opposition. You know, I'm trying to live out God's calling in my life, but it's frustrating. It's hard. And what the Bible is telling us is that there's a reason. We have an enemy. There's an enemy that opposes God, that opposes God's people, that is standing against us. And as a result, in all the things that we're trying to do, it's going to be more difficult. It's going to be complicated. In fact, if we want to really live out, the, uh, the successfully live out the Christian life, we've got to recognize the reality of the spiritual battle that we're engaged in. Because part of it is if we understand that we're in a war, we will live life differently. See, why was America so vulnerable to the attacks of 9-11? It's because we didn't realize that we had an enemy. We didn't realize that there was anybody strategizing against us, and therefore we were vulnerable. Now, in the days since then, I think we've put up our defenses a little bit more, and, and actually, if you study and you read about it, there have been a lot of planned attacks that they have had, big attacks that they've tried to have against America, the enemy, but most of those have been thwarted. Why? Because we had our defenses up. We were looking out, and we need to realize that there is a huge difference between a peacetime mindset where we assume that everything's at peace, that we can lay back and that we're not watching out for any enemy and threat, and a wartime mindset when we assume that there is an enemy that is seeking to attack us, and therefore we're watching out, we're, we're putting ourselves on the defense. Look at what Paul says even here. It's if you go back in, in Ephesians 6, and look what he says about why he's teaching us these things. In verse 11, he says, the purpose of his teaching is that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. In verse 13, he continues, we need to know this so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. The point is when we're aware of this fact of the spiritual battle, what happens is when we're aware of the battle, we're aware of the enemy, we can set up our defenses. Now, we kind of understand this in a practical way. In fact, let me even kind of illustrate it here from a physical perspective. I'm going to ask Todd to come up here and help me. And, um, you know, I was thinking, okay, I've got to have someone who can personalize evil. And, and um, <laughs> no. so, so here's Todd. Now, he's, I'm aware. Now, Todd's the enemy. Okay, now, if I, now, the thing is that if Todd's coming and he says he wants to knock me over, now he can give me a push. And the thing is, if I know... He can give me a push, and I'm defending. I've, I've got my, my, my legs apart. I've got, I'm leaning into it. Now, what if I'm blinded to that? What if, in a sense, I'm blinded, and, you know, that there's a sense that I've got the blindfold? And now, I might have a sense that there's an enemy. I don't know, really know where he's at. I don't know if there's a... And he can give me a push. And the fact is, is, is suddenly, now, I mean, a little push would knock me over. He pushes me. Dave pushed me that way. He almost knocked over all the communion trays, and that would have been really a mess. And thank you for being evil for me today. So, thank you. So... And the idea here is that when we say, if we, we understand that, that if I see it coming, I prepare. Well, the whole thing is here spiritually. We need to realize that there is a, a battle and, and there's a spiritual nature of that battle. We need to prepare for it. Now, is it just spiritual? Think about Paul. Okay, Paul, he faced all kinds of opposition. You know, Jewish leaders, Roman authorities, all these people threw him in jail, persecuted him. 
And, and when we look at that, you say, what does he mean then when he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Paul wrestled with flesh and blood. But what he's saying here is we wrestle not only or with just flesh and blood. There is a sense that there is a physical enemy. There's a physical opposition, but there's a spiritual reality that's behind it. And he's saying, when we look at the world around us, when we see the brokenness, when we see poverty, when we see abuse, when we see you know, injustice, when we see all these terrible things going on, it's not just physical, nor is it just the result of physical or earthly strategies or, or you know, people. The fact is that there's something going on beyond it. There is a reality of a spiritual evil and a spiritual power that's working. That's something that people used to know. You know, if you go back a couple hundred years ago especially, I mean, pretty much everybody understood that there were angels and, you know, and demons and, and Satan, and there were spiritual powers. They understood that there's, we're born with a sin nature, that there's a spiritual reality within our heart that wasn't just physical, that we're struggling with spiritual realities. Now, most people understood this complexity, but as we've moved into the you know, 1900s, now into the 21st century, over time, we have now simplified our view of the world so that according to this, the world's wisdom now, there isn't this complexity. There isn't a spiritual reality. Now, now we now have the simplistic view of evil and of our problems, primarily materialistic. Now, it's possible to have a simplistic spiritual view, you know, that to look at it and say, everything is of Satan, everything is of demons. And, and an example of that is people even make fun of is the Salem witch trials. And well, here you had people, everything was satanic. And, and so you're looking for demons and witches behind every, every tree. Now, again, that's, that's a wrong view. But in our time, that's not the view that we've struggled with. Now it's the simplest, simplistic, materialistic view of the world. So we don't see the spiritual. No, we see everything that is the result of materialistic problems. So it's the result of some kind of social system or some kind of systemic racial injustice or the result of bad parenting or bad brain chemistry or whatever it is, or, or it might be a combination of those things. But the problem is purely physical. And because those roots are ultimately physical, therefore it's also controllable. So what we need to do is that we need to try to figure out, okay, what doctor do you go to? What chemicals do we need to give you? You know, what political system do we need to do that's gonna fix everything? And somehow we're able to fix it. If we could just fix the right family systems or social systems or educational systems or the right medication, we're gonna fix it. In the modern world, in a sense, you could say that evil is always the result of something natural. In fact, we may not call it evil. We don't like to use that word because it has spiritual connotations. Well, we have bad things, and, and those bad things are always natural. Now, what we need to realize is that this is not a new problem. Now, maybe it's gotten worse in our time, but this is exactly what Paul is addressing as we look here at Ephesians 6, when he says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. It's not only flesh and blood. Even people in his day were looking only for materialistic answers. No, it's also against these rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And as followers of Christ, we need to be reminded of this. You see, we need to resist the temptation of seeing the world as by simply the materialist, uh, materialistic view of our culture. Because even as believers, we can still fall prey to this perspective. 
So let's say we have an addiction. And we sit there and we say, how do we deal with addiction? Well, just try harder. Just say no. Just, you know, just try to beat it. We're dealing with our struggles with pornography or sexual addiction. And, well, I just try to stop. Just try to do it. Or I can't forgive that person. And, well, just try to make yourself do it. Just try harder. And we need to realize that it never seems to work because it's not just physical. It might work for a little while, but then ultimately we fall back because we're dealing, we're trying to fix multi-level problems with, with physical solutions and we're ignoring the spiritual reality. So, you know, there's a spiritual reality. And you know what most often what that is, is most often if you dig into it, what we're gonna see is that there's often this issue that, that there's some kind of wound within us, that there's some kind of wound, there's some kind of hurt, there's something that we ignore that we don't realize. And we need to come and say, God, I cannot win this battle on my own. I need you to come to do it. That's not, we shouldn't go simplistic, you know, from a, again, from a spiritual standpoint. There are some people that will say, well, well, it's all spiritual. You got a demon, you got to cast the demon out, then you're going to be good. Well, no, there's a holistic perspective to temptation, to evil, to the problems that we face that acknowledges that God has made us as body, soul creatures, and that we live in a world where we're both dealing with, with physical and spiritual realities. And therefore, our deepest problems and the solutions to those problems are going to involve both the physical and the spiritual. Again, when it comes to our deepest wounds, usually that spiritual element involves these past trauma, some kind of past pain, some kind of past abuse that usually then results in some kind of anger some kind of anger that we've not dealt with it. It might be an anger towards that other person. It might be an anger towards even ourselves or to God. That's what Paul warns us about if we go back to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. He says, be angry and do not sin. It's not it's wrong to get angry, but when we don't resolve it, do not let the sun go down in your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. When we don't do that, we give an opportunity. You know, that idea of opportunity could also be translated a stronghold, that we give a foothold or a stronghold to Satan. That's what the New Living Translation translates it. Don't be, don't, uh, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for the anger gives a foothold to the devil. It, in a sense, gives him a foothold in our heart, something that is undealt with, that he kind of, you know, sticks his hooks in us and he doesn't let go, and it gives him all kinds of places to attack. And for many of us, we need to realize that that's a reality. There may be a foothold. There may be a stronghold. There's something that we haven't dealt with, something that was sins in our past, undealt with issues that Satan has got this, you know, this setting, you know, set up in a sense in our heart. He's attacking. And until we deal with that spiritual element, we're never going to know ultimate victory. If all we're doing is just dealing with the physical, when we're not dealing with the spiritual element, we're only going to know temporary victory. So let's even take a little example. You know, let's take a couple of things that, you know, that we could just, that many people struggle with and possibly some even here. What about addiction? Now, from a world standpoint, the world is simplistic and it looks at the simplistic and it's, oh, it's just physical, it's just chemical, that you're born this way, you have a disease. Now, I believe that there is a physical element to addiction, that some people are born with a tendency that makes them more naturally prone to become addicted to certain substances or even to different behaviors. There is a physical element to it. But it's not just that. 
And when you have the world says, okay, well, let's give you drugs to get that through, or the world systems, they don't work. Why? Because there's also a spiritual element. There's also usually the spiritual element that involves past scars and false beliefs about God and the need to forgive other people. It's usually this element where you say, I've got these wounds, and instead of looking to God to heal me, I'm going to look to this, to this addiction to somehow you know, medicate those wounds. And the fact is, until we deal with that spiritual element, we're never going to know victory. And that's what I see even a contrast between you know, secular addiction uh, you know, uh, programs, which have very low road, road, road of, uh, uh, um, uh, success, you know, versus like Haven of Rest, where I've known many people that have come through that ministry and whose lives have been transformed because it's dealing with that spiritual power to break addictions. Or let's take sexual dysfunction. And when I say that, I mean any kind of sexual belief or practice that goes outside of the teaching of God's word. Now, it's become normal in our culture to say it's all biological. And so people will say, I was born this way, or even some Christians, God made me this way, and because God made me this way, therefore it might be, must be right. Purely biological perspective. Now, I will say, holistic approach, there is often a physical perspective. There are some people that are born with certain, you know, a propensity towards certain desires. There are some people that may be born with certain, a certain propensity to believe certain things about themselves and understanding of their gender, of who they are. But when you look at it, it's not just physical. There's also a spiritual element, usually, again, dealing with past trauma, false beliefs about God. It's a spiritual element of, of rejecting this idea that there is absolute truth that should guide us. It's a spiritual element that says, okay, I'm willing to surrender to God as the ultimate authority in my life. And the fact of the matter is, until we deal with the spiritual element, we will continue to struggle with this, and we will not only know defeat, but we will know brokenness as a result. So we've got to realize that there's this battle. And in this battle, and when we talk about the spiritual element, it's not just that there is a vague sense of spiritual evil that's out there, a spiritual force. No, it's a spiritual battle against a real spiritual enemy. In a sense, a person. And when we look at that, it's, what am I talking about? Yeah, I'm talking about there's a person here, the devil that it talks about, Satan. Now, now some people might be thinking, it's like, boy, this comes in strange, and you know, we're talking about spiritual warfare and Satan and we just don't talk about those things in our culture anymore. Do you mean people believe that? I mean, in our culture, if you hear people talk about Satan, it's almost mocked, it's almost made fun of. You know, how can anybody believe in something so medieval and so strange? But you know what's really interesting about that? There's a dichotomy in our culture. On the one hand, we totally ignore it. We deny the sense of any spiritual evil, spiritual powers. Uh, we re totally make fun of it. But on the other hand, when you look at our culture, our culture has become enamored with, with gore and horror and, tor and terror and, and the graphic depictions of evil, and especially in movies. You know, we have, there's always been stories of darkness, but it's taken it to another new level, and especially through Halloween. You know, how many things do you see about witchcraft and about evil and spiritual powers and spiritual battles? And, and meanwhile, while we ignore it on one hand and make fun of people that believe it, on the other hand, our culture is enamored by this stuff. Because deep down, I think we know that it's true. And so, how do we understand it? How do we react to a culture that, that knows there's some truth, but then, you know, kind of makes fun of it? 
You know, I'm reminded of even the story of a, a couple boys after church. There, you know, there'd been a, a message on, on Satan and spiritual warfare, and, and one of the boys was talking to the other and says, so what do you think about all that Satan stuff that the pastor was talking about this morning? The other boy was quiet and after a moment responded, well, you know how Santa Claus turned out? It's probably just your dad, you know? And he's, he's just, he'd sit there and say, no, it's not just your dad. It's not just, this is spiritual reality. These are things that are true. And it's, it's not, you know, it's not your dad. It's, there's a spiritual, and a, Satan is an angel that fell and that in a sense rejected God and has turned his power in opposing God and his people. There are real demons, angels that fell with Satan and have joined him in his work. But even in that, we need to remember that we've got to resist the temptation of simplicity, of on the one hand denying that it's real, and on the other hand becoming too focused on it, becoming too enamored by it. In fact, that's something that, uh, that C.S. Lewis talked about in his, his uh, book, Tape Letters, which is all about kind of like Satan and temptation. And, and in the beginning of that, he was kind of writing this, this introduction. And, and he says this, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. You know, one is in a sense to disbelieve the materialistic simplicity. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. It's to take that other side of, you know, of, you know simplistic on the spiritual side. They say they themselves, speaking of the devils, are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight, or say a materialist or a spiritualist. And either way, if we have this simplistic view, you see, Satan's happy. There is a real enemy. We've got to understand this enemy, and we've got to understand his, that he's an enemy with a strategy. Look at again in verses 10 and 11, and notice what Paul is teaching us about the nature of the enemy we face. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Now, here's what he wants you to realize. We have a powerful enemy who's powerful, so powerful that we will not be able to stand if we try to do so on our own. But not only that, but we're called to stand against the schemes of the devil, meaning that we have an enemy who's intelligent and who uses that intelligence to personalize schemes against us. Now, this is actually something that's taught throughout the whole Bible. So if you go all the way back to Genesis 3, where we have the fall, where we first are introduced to Satan as a real, real character, look at what the, how, we're first, how he's first described. Genesis 3, 1. The serpent, speaking of Satan, was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. So here you have Satan. In all creation, this is the shrewdest. This is the one who now uses that intelligence and that shrewdness to come and deceive and to lead humanity into sin. Another passage that teaches this idea is in James 1. In James 1, 13 through 15, James talks about temptation and how Satan tempts us. And look what he describes about the temptation. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it fully grown, brings forth death. Now, here's what I want you to see, is that he's saying that we need to view the issue holistically, just like we see in Ephesians. On the one hand, we've got to realize that there's a physical element that comes from us. We're lured by our own desires. We have desires that are within us that are part of our temptation. Literally, it has a word there that means over-desire, that we have things that God has given us which are good desires that Satan now tries to twist so that we desire it outside of God's provision, and then it becomes sinful. But there's also a spiritual element 
because it says that we're lured and enticed. And when it talks about being lured and enticed, that means that there is someone outside of us that is seeking to entice us, to lure us. It actually is using the imagery of fishing. You know, I don't know how many of you are fishermen. Uh, I have tried to fish. I've taken my kids to fish. I will say, I've never really fished. I just drowned some worms uh, because I don't really catch anything. And, and, uh, and the, the problem is I don't understand fishing that well. I don't really understand the fish. I don't understand right bait. And uh, so we go out there and we, you know, we just get sunburnt and talk and don't really catch anything. And um, now the fact is you have some people, I think Nick Roberson, you know, did a wonderful job at the, at the wild game dinner and he had all this fish that he caught. There's a master. Here's a guy that understands fish. He understands lures. He understands, okay, if I'm trying to catch this kind of fish, this is what I use to try to trick him into thinking that, that they have a desire to eat. Well, this desire is really to, to, you know, to get caught in a hook and to be destroyed. And he understands that. And what we need to realize is that there is a fisherman that's out there that has lures that is designed to be able to catch each one of us. And your lure might be different than my lure. And the fact is, it's not just like this, you know, everybody's got a worm. No, he knows that uniquely what we're susceptible to. And the idea is that we have this intelligent force who's twisting our desires, putting them in front of us, seeking to hook us into sin, realizing that sin, when it's fully grown, is going to bring forth death. See, but when we look at this, we also got to realize that in this, just like a fisherman, the fisherman never throws out the bait and says, okay, here's the hook. Come fish, take the hook. You know, this, I want to, kill, I want to eat you. Now, what does he do? He makes it look good. And in the same way, when we look at what is this thing, this state and strategy, you know, Satan doesn't ever come to us and say, hey, go murder people. You know, it doesn't come to us in, you know, the, in red tights and with horns and a pitchfork. Now, what does the Bible say? It says that he disguises himself as an angel of light. That he comes and he says, here's something good. It's never open. Here's something that will make you happier. Here's something, oh, it's really not that bad. Oh, this is, God will understand if you do that. See, what you need to realize, evil is never simple. It's always disguised. In a sense, you could say evil never presents itself as evil. No, it's always something that is a deceit. And because it deceives us, it sneaks up on us. And then if you go back to what it says in Ephesians, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I find that interesting, that wrestle, that's hand-to-hand combat. So usually when we get actually involved in this, it's like Satan has snuck up on us. And next thing you know, we're wrestling and we didn't even know where it came from. And he says, why do we do this? Because we have these wrong beliefs about God and these wrong beliefs about our, you know, lead to wrong beliefs about marriage, about about God's morality, about God's call upon our life. And it's because of these things that we struggle with whatever issue that we may look at. It's, that's the root behind our sexual temptation, our struggles in our workplace, our struggles in our relationship, our struggles in the ha- family. Now, here's what we need to realize. There might be some people that every once in a while I'll come to church and, hey, I've got this problem. I've got this, you know, can you help fix my marriage? Can you help fix my kids? Can you help fix... I want you to realize that no matter what problem you have, ultimately there is answers. But the answers are never in a how-to. They're never in here's what you do, you know, here's three steps to do this. We need to realize that all of us deal with a struggle that is not just flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual element behind it. Your struggle in every aspect of life, there's a spiritual element. There's a spiritual power at work strategizing against us. And so God has called us to be aware of that. Not only be aware of that, but then, then to take action. 
And what is the action that he's called us to do? The call that he's called us in, in battle. Now, you might be looking at that and you say, man, who's gone this long? And he's just getting to point two. Point two is just going to be really short, I promise. It's an introduction to where we're going to go the rest of these next five weeks or so. It's just an introduction to what he's saying that we're going to unpack in the weeks to come. The first call is very direct. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. So he's called us to be strong in the Lord. And what does it be strong in the Lord? Well, for starters, it means living in humility of recognizing that we do not have what it takes on our own. Living in the humility that recognizes that I need God's strength, something that I do not have. I think of what it says about this in, in 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. That's the same warning, in a sense, that, that Paul is giving us. Be sober-minded. Be aware of this. You are in a battle. You have an enemy, and this enemy is not a little kitty cat, not wanting to play with you. He doesn't even want to frustrate you. No, he wants to devour you. He wants to destroy you. And you need to realize that, that if we have this enemy who is more powerful than we are, we need to find a strength that's outside of us. We need to go to Christ as the source of our strength. And what Peter is calling us to is the same thing as that Paul is calling us to, that we recognize this starts by saying, God, I do not have what it takes on my own. I am in this battle. And what we're going to see in the coming weeks is that it's, it's not something that when the battle comes, well, then I need to do it. We don't know when the battle's going to come. If we don't put on this armor every day, if we don't prepare every day, we will be vulnerable to the attack. We're blindfolded and we're just waiting to be get knocked over without even realizing it's coming. Now, in that, I want to give a word of hope as well. While the enemy is more powerful than we are, we have Christ as our source of strength and he is more powerful than the enemy. So the promises we need to remember is what we hear in 1 John. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That we have that power, take hope, have confidence, live with confidence. But it's not only that we need Christ as our source of strength, we also need Christ in the nature of his strength. Now here's what I want you to realize, that if you look back at what it says there in Ephesians, what you're going to find is the contrast is not between our strength and God's strength. It's not, you don't have enough strength, so go to God for strength. It's a contrast between God's strength and Satan's strength. Now, one of, one of the things that he's saying is don't fire fire with fire. It's, this isn't something that you're going to do on your own. Be strong in his might, in his strength, in the type of strength that he has. Now, here's what can happen is sometimes we get this wrong and we think, okay, what I need is I need God to give me more of my strength. So God, I'm, I'm, I'm weak, so help me to win this battle by my strength, by my ability through human means. But the fact of the matter is that I need not his strength. I need a different nature of strength. That's why I love that song that we sang right before the message. I speak the name of Jesus. You know what that is? That's saying that's the strength that we have, the strength of the gospel, the strength of, because what was Jesus' strength? How did he gain victory? At the cross. It wasn't the, the strength that everyone expected. It wasn't as a military, you know, I'm going to conquer. It's that he gave himself at the cross. And what is our strength? It's in the cross. It's in recognizing our weakness and recognizing that our, I'm, I'm a sinner, that I can't fix myself. I can't gain victory. And God, I agree with you, and I ask you to forgive me. I, I ask you to fill me with Jesus Christ, with his righteousness, and at the cross, and in my weakness, I find his strength. 
I speak the name of Jesus. I learn to be able to take everything in my life, every addiction, every struggle over my family, all those things, and I need Jesus to speak over that. I need him to gain me victory, and only in him will I find the victory I desperately need. Not only do I need his strength, but what is that strength? Well, we're going to see it's really laid out in the armor of God. And that's why he continues, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Literally, when it says take up, it doesn't mean take. It doesn't mean find. It means these are things that we have. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with Christ, you have, we're going to see the armor and lay lay that out, what that means. It's a beautiful picture of God's provision, what it means to speak the name of Jesus. These are things that we have. We just need to recognize them and to take them up on a daily basis. Not when the trouble comes, because the trouble's going to come when you didn't see it coming. And if you didn't put it on before the trouble comes, you're going to be knocked over. You're going to be destroyed. But on a daily basis, we need to take up the, the, you know, the, the righteousness, take up the salvation, take up all the things we're going to see lay out. See, part of this, we warn, I love, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. If you think you don't need it, if you think you've got it, if you think you can go out without the armor, watch out because you're about to get knocked over. But if we are aware in that humility and we put on the armor, then God gives us the ability to stand, to stand strong. I love how it ends in verse 13 here. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. My friends, you know what this is calling us to as followers of Christ? Yes, we face an enemy. Yes, we face a culture that's hard. Yes, we face a lot of things that are discouraging. But he's saying, now you are a follower of Christ. I have given you the ability to stand. Now stand. Now stand firm. That when the culture is against you, when everyone is saying one thing, and you know that the truth is over here, stand firm. Stand. Stand up like the followers of Christ. He's given you that ability. When you don't know how you're going to make it through in your marriage and you're like, man, I just want to give up. Stand. Don't give up. Stand. Have the strength. Have the encouragement. I don't have the courage, you might say. Yes, you don't have the courage, but God has given it to you. Take up what he has given you and stand. When you continue to lose in temptation and say, I continue to lose, take up what he has given you and stand. You don't need to to, to fall. No, God has given you what you have the ability to stand. My friends, in the midst of them, these times that we say, man, I've lost and I'm defeated, I'm discouraged. This is a holiday season with our loved ones that aren't here. You know, I don't have what it takes. You don't by yourself, but God has given you those things, so stand. When you look at family members this holiday season who have fallen away from Christ and you're praying for them, and you say, I don't know really. Stand firm, have hope, have courage, because again, God is a God of miracles. Speak the name of Jesus over them and let that God, God do a beginning a work of miracle. Don't give up hope. Don't give up confidence, because I believe in the God's ability to do the miraculous and those who are willing to say, God, I seek your strength. I'm going to put on that armor, and now I'm going to walk out into whatever is before me, and I'm going to stand. As followers of Christ, I hope that we learn to be able to say, I want to live with that kind of confidence to take up that which God has given me, and in a culture where everybody is caving, we're going to be a people that stand, that are going to stand strong to the glory of God. And because of that, it might be hard and it might be painful and there might be some rejection, and, but God's going to bless us. God's going to bless us. He's going to bless our families because we had the strength and courage by God's strength to stand, to stand strong.